Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, August the 10th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Also, check us out at our buddies, The Grueling Truth, part of the iHeartRadio Network. Hope everybody's doing well, and uh, a little bit different schedule, I guess, over the last couple of weeks. Last time we convened, it was the July 31st uh, trade deadline show, the call-in show. Didn't get a ton of calls, but the calls we did get were great. I thought the conversation was great. The conversation in the comments section was great. So, you know, when you're at a point in the season where there's no pennant race, and today we'll talk about the farm system, I'll, you'll hear a conversation I had with our buddy from MetsmerizeOnline.com, MetsMiners.net, Michael Mayer, who really he and the staff over there have done a tremendous job of educating and bringing life to really for the common fan is just a box score on MILB.com or maybe a blurb in the, in the papers. You don't really get a lot of prospect stuff, even today in the mainstream media. Because what I want to do today is talk about the farm system. That's where really this focus will be because we're we're focused on 2019. 
And the narrative that's out there that the Mets don't have a great farm system. Well, Baseball America disagrees. They've gone from 27th down to 19th in terms of ranking. And perhaps uh, after the season, depending on how things turn out and 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 whatnot, you'll see it go a little bit higher. But you know, still in the bottom tier of baseball. And again, this is an opinion. Remember that. There's their opinions on the farm system. Does it mean that because you're 19 and someone else is 14 that that particular organization has better impact players? You don't know. I mean, a lot of this is, is speculation. But at any rate, uh, you'll hear a conversation Michael and I had and and we'll chat a little bit about is the Mets farm are the is the Mets farm system as bad as everybody thinks? I'm going to tell you no. We'll see what Michael thinks. So, where do we start off? So, uh, as I said, we're not really focused on the games. I know that right now Jacob Degrom starts are a bit of an event. You know, maybe you're looking at Jeff McNeil and how he's doing. I certainly am. Uh, I know if you're really interested, is, is Austin Jackson a piece on next year's team? I, I think this all is hard right now. This is probably the hardest time to do these kind of shows. Because last year, yes, the Mets were in a similar situation. But really, the general manager was not in, in danger of, of being fired. And, and we had no idea that Sandy Alderson was still very sick and would step down. So it was really all about the field manager and the pitching coach, which was exactly the direction that the organization went, the right direction. It was correct to, to move on. And you see... I think a big difference uh, with especially Dave Island, and I know it's been a rough year for Mickey Callaway, but I, I really don't believe it would be any different with Terry Collins in the dugout. So those were the right moves. Uh, moving to this year, the the problem you have with really trying to say, okay, how did the Mets build a pathway to contention in 2019? and 2020 is you just don't know who the general manager is going to be. The president of baseball operations is going to be and what their philosophy is. I do not believe now John Heyman came out with some information yesterday, which really, and, and if you don't read John, he's over at fancredsports.com. You guys have probably heard him on WFAN, you know, a long time with, uh, uh, you know, baseball writer many moons ago with Newsday. Uh, he listed some candidates outside the organization. It does appear that many inside the organization are supporting John Ricco. Now, remember, when you get sources inside organizations that are supporting a particular candidate, those guys really want to keep their jobs. They're afraid of an outside person coming in and cleaning house. It does not sound that Fred and Jeff Wilpon want to clean out the entire thing, blow the entire thing up, and that they would rather go with somebody who is a little bit more experienced than an out-of-the-box type of GM hire. I mean, that's the report by Mike Puma this morning. And I agree with that. I, I, here's how I'll talk about the GMs, because I go up and down the list, whether it be Jared Porter, who's in Arizona, or Josh Burns, who used to be the Diamondbacks GM, Ben Charrington, who won a World Series with the Red Sox and took over for Theo Epstein, you have Mike Chernoff, who is related to Mark Chernoff, who runs WFAN and CBS Sports over there. Uh, you, know, you know, he's got some ties here. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea how any of these guys really will do. You know, they've had, each of them have a decent resume with the teams they at, they're at currently at. They've done some nice things in their careers. The biggest thing that will come of who the next 
president of baseball operations or GM or whatever, is how are they going to manage the ownership group? How are they going to manage Jeff Wilpon? How are they going to manage Fred Wilpon? And look, you can cry and complain all you want, but they own the team. They own this asset. I find it so laughable. Deadspin came out with an article about how the MLB should take the Mets away from the Wilpons. There may have been... And we're not going to rehash it, but back in post-Madoff with some of the financial situations that were in play, there probably were elements of the Constitution of MLB that the Mets were violating. As a matter of fact, they definitely were. And at that point, you had a situation where it made sense. It was written about mainly by our buddy Howard Megdow. At this point, not trading Jerry's familia for what you want to be or the media wants to be the right package, that's not reason for taking a team away. Back-to-back losing seasons, that's not reason for taking a team away. That's socialism. That's not what this is about. I know there's some in the audience, especially younger guys, that are, are into that thing now. It's it's not reality. That's not the way the world works, no matter what your politicians or your local uh, people think. those are just That's as much fantasy as some of the stuff that gets written by the media regarding organization building and trades. It's not going to happen. Um, so really, that general manager needs to connect with Fred Wilpon. You saw that that was a big play with how Mickey Calloway got the job and how Terry Collins survived in the job despite poor performance. And hopefully they'll be able to convince Jeff Wilpon to allow them. When I say autonomy, nobody has complete autonomy. You always have to answer to somebody unless you own the, the, the team. And they don't have to answer to anybody. They have, you know, it's their money. To be able to go out and do what they feel is the right thing in the short and long term. And I think that is the play that is most important to me. Everybody seems to be zero-sum thinking on this. Well, either you blow it up and 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 are terrible and go like the Florida Marlins or do an NBA-style rebuild where you're terrible and you collect quote-unquote assets, whether they be players, international money, whatever, and you wait for this holy grail of free agency or whatever the media tells you is the time that you're allowed to contend. They now have these crystal balls, and you go that route. Or, you know, I personally am for it. I don't see any reason with what you have in front of you, and you'll have another draft next year, regardless of how the Mets finish, where... You'll get a decent draft pick. Hopefully, the new regime has some interesting ideas, and we'll see how the Mets drafts even this year go. You know, you just don't know. And you continue to replenish and rebuild a farm system that, as we'll hear from Michael Mayer, is much improved. And and even with the trades that you don't like of Familia and Astubal Cabrera, probably have better assets coming out of that farm system today than you did just three weeks ago regardless of whether you think, and I don't know how you know or the media knows what they could have gotten. Because comparing, you know, deals is, is you know, you could try. that. That's not how the world works. You know, you weren't in those rooms. You don't know the intangible parts of those deals and what they thought of Cabrera, what they thought of Familia, what have you, what the Mets feel are their needs as an organization. I would rather have someone come in that can see this roster as I see it, as probably ownership sees it, and I believe is the right way to see it, that you have a built-in starting rotation, you have some interesting young players in Conforto and Nimmo, 
Uh, yes, Cespedes is out, but you know who knows if this kid, Peter Alonso, and we'll talk about him more when Michael gets on, can replace some of the power that you're missing, the elite power. Is Jeff McNeil another Daniel Murphy type player that starts a little later in his career as a impact bat? Can he be a Strubel Cabrera? What about all these bullpen arms? The A's just acquired Fernando Rodney. It's clear the A's are going to try to win the postseason. What really is the modern formula? And I always say the 2006 Mets pioneered this formula by having not so great starting pitching, good enough starting pitching, but a bullpen that could bridge to the closer from the sixth inning on. Maybe sooner. And that's how a lot of teams want to play. So... Regardless, the Mets have the starting pitching where they could probably go deeper than the sixth inning. They have that, which other teams don't and can't get. You guys want to give it away, by the way. So they're going out trying to get all these bullpen arms, which in the best case scenario, the arm they acquired yesterday, the A's, Fernando Rodney, is, is at best case kerosene on a fire. You know, But decent arm, and, and if you're in a lower leverage earlier situation, maybe he'll, he'll be okay. Um. That, to me, is the component. The Mets have all these young arms, and possibly they can do both. They have young arms that may be able to bridge the gap to a closer. Yeah, you're hoping they go out and maybe consider spending some money out on the free agent market on on some bullpen arms. Uh, Who knows who these guys, whether it be Drew Smith or Tyler Batchelor or whatever, Bobby Wall, can they come and be at a low cost, High leverage, sixth, seventh, maybe eighth inning guys. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a closer out of that. You know, there's others that they acquired over the last year that you know, we'll talk about and, and see how they can impact. We may see more arms coming in September. To me, that's enough where you start out in the offseason and say, I can build a contender out of this, and I'm not going to sacrifice my ability to, to look long term. That, to me, is a good executive. That can do both. And not everybody's in that position. And whoever comes in and takes over the Mets is in that position because they have that pitching controlled for a couple of more years. The same pitching you want to give away, or in some cases the media gift to a contender so that you can have fun and write stories about super rotations and whatever other nonsense you have going on. You want them just to gift that away for quote-unquote assets that I guarantee you in two years, when some of those assets don't work out, you'll be writing, oh, what a horrible decision the Mets made when they didn't have a GM to to, to make those deals. It's it, it's inevitable. I could, I don't need the crystal ball, the fake crystal ball that the media has to, to figure out how that's going to go. I've seen that, that story many, many times. So that's where I agree. Uh, that's where I think you'll see, you know, the, one of the names that came up was Dan Duquette, possibly. Uh, you know, you, you, you hear today... Uh, Gary LaRoque, who used to be part of the Mets organization uh, back in the late 90s. Uh, he's with the Cardinals now. You, and certainly there's a name that, because he worked for the Mets, when Steve Phillips and uh, Jim Duquette were the GMs, Fred Wilpon's familiar with them. That's a big thing. Look, Fred Wilpon wants to be comfortable with who works for him. And I know you don't like hearing that. Well, you should hire the best person. Let me ask you guys a question. If you owned a company, you would hire somebody who, quote-unquote, may be in theory, in a vacuum, the best person, but you don't like working with them? You know, sometimes you have to realize there is a human component to all this. It's not a zero-sum game. 
Most of you don't run any businesses. Uh, those that do understand that. Nobody in the media runs a business, so they don't get it. Uh, scouts don't run businesses. Uh, they're independent contractors. So you really have to look at this much more top level, much more macro in the situation and understand why decisions are made and why the Mets go in certain directions. And that's not me defending ownership because I do think ownership has to acknowledge that first they have to question how they're going about, if they can, the way they invest financially, if they can be more nimble because they're not. And I don't know if that's even something they could do or is it because they want control or there's a fear and Jeff Wilpon, who has every right to be involved if he's the chief operating officer, because that's his title, can he be involved in a positive way? And and maybe this is a narrative from the media. Who knows? But similar to Jim Dolan, is his intrusiveness getting to the point where it's almost he's he wants to win? Everybody who you t- who hear who has dealt with him, Steve Phillips talks about this. A lot on MLB Network Radio because he worked for these guys. He wants to win, but sometimes your desires and your actions aren't matching up. Can he? Can he help himself? History says no. Maybe the right general manager gets them to that point. I think Sandy Alderson. That was one of the things he did well, especially early on. He kind of cleaned up the craziness. That was what he was good at. Now maybe he wasn't the best talent evaluator. I don't think he was a talent evaluator. Sandy Alderson kind of directed traffic in there. Yeah, he made decisions, but he had people like J.P. Ricciardi and now Manaya and Rico that were helping him along. Uh, maybe, as Mike Puma wrote today, he was a little bit too analytics-based recent years. Maybe that's because he's not a talent evaluator per se. And look, he built these teams probably similar to what he knew as a, as a young executive. The Oakland Athletics, uh, strong pitching, uh, a lot of power in that lineup. And and I always remember he was on WFAN with Mike Francesa many moons ago, probably a couple of years into his tenure. And I think this is right around when they signed Curtis Granderson or or right before. And he said, we have to get players in the, on this team, in this lineup that can hit home runs because when a team hits home runs in a ball game, I can't remember the exact winning percentage, but it was well north of 50%. So uh, in his world, that if-then statement created success. It did work. It helped the Mets get to a World Series and then, you know, make a playoff uh, appearance at the year after. But it was limited and it wasn't diversified enough, and now they have to be a little bit different. That's why anyone who makes fun of uh, this Will Tofey, uh, who they acquired from Oakland, well, there's an on-base guy who who seems to be more of an average on-base, less power guy. Well, that's exactly the diversification that this lineup doesn't have. Who knows if he's ever going to be a part of it, but... You know, you guys make me laugh. You say one thing and then you say another, and and you're never happy. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. Uh, I will have Michael Mayer in a bit. When we return, I want to address the Jacob Degrom Cy Young stuff because I think that's going to be you know one of those fillers that we'll have. But I have an interesting take of it, or at least what I think is something different about how I would look at Jacob Degrom and his candidacy for the Cy Young Award. We'll be back with more right after this. Well, this will be his last inning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Four of his last five starts have gone eight innings. He strikes out Jeanette on a curveball in the dirt. Ten strikeouts for DeGrom. And that'll do it for the Reds in the sixth. All right, we're back. And you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast here on this uh, August day, August the 10th. Not a Sunday. 
I uh, had the July 31st deadline, and then I figured, well, let's let's play a little fast and loose and do some things differently. Does it really matter whether it's a Sunday or what have you? Anyway, Jacob DeGrom, so now you're starting to get into the nitty-gritty where a lot of individuals are going to start to talk about the Cy Young Award voting. You have names like Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer, and even a guy out in Colorado, Kyle, Kyle Freeland, might start to... Uh, sneak into the conversation, Zach Grinke. But the real story here is you have a guy, Jacob deGrom, who really may be having one of the, right there with Dwight Gooden in 1985, best pitching performances in franchise history, and enters today with a 6-7 and seven record. And players that have similar stats to him, pitchers like Aaron Nola, who's 12-3, and three, and Max Scherzer, who's 15-5, and five, uh, he has a guy, Kyle Freeland. I just mentioned him out in Colorado. He's 10-7, and, and and his stats are nowhere near Jacob deGrom's. Um, impressive because he's playing in that craziness of that ballpark and that, that environment. I mean, geez, you have a guy like Miles uh, Mikolas in uh, St. Louis who's got 12 wins, having a good year, but nowhere near. It's been, it's been one of those unlucky years. So everybody talks about Ken Jacob deGrom, and he deserves a Cy Young and what have you. And... Here's what I'll say, because I went back to a couple of seasons. The First, I went back to the R.A. Dickey season. And and here's why I'm going to tell you Jacob deGrom is not the Cy Young Award winner. And I don't think he could do anything the rest of the year in the next, let's say, 9, 10 starts, other than get a winning record and maybe win 12, 13 ball games, which would make this less of a of a, a criminal act, let's say, in the nicest form of where he's at as a as a one loss record this year because it's a it's criminal how he's been it's just really unlucky you you know he wins about four or five games the rest of the year it makes it a little bit more palatable not much but a little bit more there's really not much he can do and here's why because when you start to break down secondary metrics um you know yeah ERA plus he's right up there I mean he's right up there with Chris Sale who's got eleven wins. Uh, you know, by the way, you know, he's he should have probably have more wins when you think about it. He's not above and beyond in terms of the secondary stats from a guy like Scherzer or a guy like Nola, who's very similar, by the way, to warrant a vote, in my opinion, above those guys. And I think that is about as unbiased and fair as I can be because I'd love to see Jacob deGrom win a Cy Young Award. I'd love it. I mean, I was happy when... R.A. Dickey did. As a matter of fact, R.A. Dickey winning the Cy Young Award yielded them Noah Syndergaard. So it was a very fortuitous situation. You go back to 2012 when R.A. Dickey won, and you say to yourself, well, R.A. Dickey won. Why can't why can't uh, uh, Jacob deGrom? Well, R.A. Dickey had that number, and I know you're going to roll your eyes and and say, how is that possible in this day and age? R.A. Dickey, his secondary numbers were solid. Uh, He was not the best pitcher in the National League when you look at peripherals because Clayton Kershaw was probably better than him. Now, at that point, Clayton Kershaw had won already, so sometimes that comes into play. He had already won in 2011, so it wasn't like he was... You know, there's that certain voter which is like, well, let me try something different. I think Dickey had a nice story because of the knuckleball. I think that played into it. Uh, he had the 20 wins. Uh, Kershaw was 14 and 9, so the plus 14 was a big deal. And, um, 
you know, his peripherals were right there with Kershaw, probably a little bit below. But because he had that story, because he had those 20 wins, I think that that made a differentiation. And you guys could sit here and say it shouldn't be that way. It should be a mathematical formula. And to a certain degree now, you've bridged the gap on that. But voting is sometimes a, whether it be for politics or for these silly awards, it's sometimes a touchy-feely thing for the voter. And even those that are not of the long-term, you know, maybe you want to use the term old-school BBWAA, I think they have their own touchy-feeliness to it. R.A. Dickey was a great story. Everybody liked it because he was on the scrap heap. I think that played a lot. Now you go back to 1987, and you guys, especially the analytically combined, they're going to cringe on this one. And you see Nolan Ryan. Here's a guy that probably that season ties in more from a situation where Jacob DeGrom is at. He was 8-16, and and he was the ERA leader that year at 2.76. That was the year of the home run. Had 270 strikeouts in 211 innings. 8-16, and Nolan Ryan, Hall of Famer. Uh, he did not win the Cy Young Award. I think he finished fifth there. You had guy like Bob Welch, who's that year uh, won 15 games. He had the most wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, for a pitcher that year, starting pitcher. And here, get this, Oral Hershiser, the next highest in wins above replacement that year, 16 and 16. 32 out of 35 starts, he got decisions. He actually relieved in a couple of games, too. Rick Sutcliffe won 18 games. Mike Scott won 16 games, and Dwight Gooden won 15 games. So let's go. Who do you think won the Cy Young Award there? So I just named you a bunch of starting pitchers. Dwight Gooden, by the way, finished fifth that year. Here is the Cy Young vote that year. Steve Bedrosian, who won it, Rick Sutcliffe, Rick Rushell, Oral Hershiser, Dwight Gooden. That's wacky. Um, but again, 40 saves and an era where saves were starting to become a a stat that was new and maybe valued. The guy was a longtime starter. He had uh, struggled at one point as a starter, lost 15 games a couple of years earlier, uh, came over to Philadelphia and and played a big role, I guess, in, in evolving. I know that Goose Gossage and Raleigh Fingers and, and Sparky Lyle had been like 10 years, decade earlier, big relievers, but you know, Dennis Ecclesley had not yet really come into play. He was just starting to be a reliever. So this was new. So again, there's the differentiation. There was something that stood out. That's human nature. That's how things work. And that's what's going against Jacob DeGrom because as great as he's been, and maybe there'll be the feel-good, you know, the guy's got a losing record. I want to be the one to vote for Cy Young. Maybe there'll be some of that in play, and he'll certainly get some first-place votes, but not enough. And I don't think that that will will swing it enough to give him the award. So as much as things have changed since 1987, some things stay the same. Remember, you could look at secondary numbers. It comes down to something that stands out that tells the voter this individual deserves it over the others. And it's not always ground ball rate, strikeout rate, FIP, all that stuff. And if that stuff is so far and beyond better than everybody else, then they'll... They'll forgive the 6-7 and seven or low win total. But right now, when you compare him to Aaron Nola, 
when you compare him. If you, I know it's the American League to Chris Sale. Even Max Scherzer in his own league, he's got those two other guys. There's not that much of a big differentiation. So Jacob DeGrom will not win the Cy Young Award. What, what you can hope for is that he becomes respectable. Uh, you know, he wins a few more games to have a respectable uh, one loss at the end of the year. And I think the real debate and something that we could have fun with as the season goes on is where does this pitching performance stand in Mets history versus the Dwight Goodens versus the R.A. Dickey, you know, Seaver and Kuzman and guys like that? Because this is this is an all-time great Mets pitching performance. And more importantly for the Mets, is this who Jacob deGrom has become? Or is this his R.A. Dickey year? Because Dickey was, ne- was a solid pitcher when he went over to Toronto. And he was a solid pitcher before. But he was not the Cy Young pitcher that he was in 2012. And in a lot of ways, the difference here is you break Dickey's season up. He had a very good June, historically good, Doc Gooden-level June. He almost had a couple of no-hitters that that situation. And uh, he was good the rest of the year, but he also, that, that stretch carried him and inflated his numbers a little bit for a losing team. So anyway, quick break. When we return, Michael Mayer. I had a chance to talk to Michael last night, and uh, you'll hear that conversation. We'll be back with more from the Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back and uh, joining us is our good friend from Metsmerized Online and Metsminers.net Michael Mayer you can check him out on Twitter at Mike Mayer MMO and uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. And with just a few weeks left of the minor league season, the Mets mired in a second division uh, situation at the big league level, looking for any kind of good news out there. And if you're a Mets fan and you see the Baseball America rankings of the Mets farm system going from, I guess, 27 to still the bottom tier, but 19. Make sure you uh, ask the question, and I guess that question might be asked by a few fans, is the Mets farm system as bad as everybody made it out to be earlier this year? No, and I mean, a lot of me and some of the other writers, the Mets miners and some of the other writers like Joe DeMaio from other sites been saying for a couple of months now that once these re-rankings came out that they weren't going to be near the bottom five or ultimately in in the not in the bottom 10 for baseball america um they've just they've seen improvement from some guys they needed to like justin dunn um andres jimenez peter alonzo anthony k finally healthy um and then they've got a ton a ton of high upside talent in the lower levels 
uh, a lot of it with the Kingsport team right now. And uh, so overall, I know maybe some fans see that there isn't a ton of talent at the um, close to the majors, but the, it's a, it's a system that's improving. And I mean, come next year when they get ready to do the rankings, the preseason rankings, it's entirely possible that they're closer to 14, 15 and right in the middle of the pack. And they should have a good draft pick to throw on top of that too. So it's, it's coming back around. I mean, this was a system a couple of years ago that was top 10 and they saw some graduations, trades, stuff like that. And it, it's, it's going to take a little while to bounce back and it's, it's finally starting in that, in that way. Knowing that regardless, and I know there's been some rumors about potential GMs that or presidents of baseball operations that could be brought in. It sounds like mainly due to the fact that ownership probably wants this, the Mets are going to try to contend around their starting pitching in 2019, 2020. I really like to like them to see them try not doing it irresponsibly, of course, and putting you know them further in the hole. With some of the, you see, McNeil has been brought up. I know Alonzo. We'll see what goes on there. Number of bullpen type arms that are in the play um, in play here. Knowing that there'll probably be some sort of budget that won't allow the Mets to go spend wildly, do they have enough? Do you think over the next couple of years that where they can try to? get those last seasons out of Syndergaard, DeGrom before free agency and maybe make a run at a wild card and, and be in the, be in play here, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think it could be, I mean, if every, everything goes right, McNeil proves that he's your everyday second baseman. I mean, that, that takes away a big need for them. Um, say Alonzo comes up in a week and he proves that he's a everyday player. Um, some of the bullpen arms like you were talking about, I mean, the bullpen is a big, going to be a big thing, a big need this offseason, so they kind of need to have at least a couple of these guys prove that they're major league caliber guys. But, um, I, I mean, the farm system isn't good enough, close enough, to just rely on that and spend middle of the road to lower tier on free agents. They're, I mean, if the Mets are truly going to um, – committed to contending next year and the year after they they're going to have to spend a little bit and we're not talking about two years 16 million dollars for a starting pitcher or three years 39 million dollars for a starting outfielder they're they're going to have to hand out a decent contract here or there i mean they're going to have to i mean i know they're looking at some dead money with cespedes although they got some insurance but i mean they're going to have to hand out that at least that type of contract to someone if they if they want to contend they they can't just keep on trying these older older types in these two three year low money deals and hope that that patchwork is going to work the the farm system's not good enough to do that yet it was interesting you mentioned Jeff McNeil Peter Alonso there's some guys right now that I think are key uh you know to potentially being successful in 2019, which I, I really don't think is as far off as people think. I know what you're saying. You know, obviously there's, there's some things that have to go right. And, you know, who the heck knows? I, I think either way, you don't know how things go. Even if you did a complete tear down rebuild, there's never any guarantees, but McNeil's a big part of it. Alonzo, who I don't know if we're going to see this year, maybe you could give some insight into that. 
You know, I had Russ Langer on uh, a couple of weeks back, and it seemed like he was still working on some things. The stats are there, but, you know, as you know, it's a lot of other things that go into play that they may see, um, and maybe even some financial. And then there's the Corey Oswalt of the world who, uh, you know, maybe that six, seven, eight depth, if Lugo and Gazelman could become starters next year, is a little bit better. And now you have you have a decent starting pitching that hopefully stays healthy, some better depth, uh, prevents you from having to go out and sign another or or have a Jason Vargas type, which may be as risky as some of the Corey Oswald types. And then if McNeil, and I don't expect him to hit 350 with 30 bombs, but if he can be somewhere in the Estrubal Cabrera offensive mindset and uh, and play a little bit better defense, there's your uh, your second baseman. And then if Alonzo's the real deal, there's your power. And I know that that's a big if, but there's your power until, you know, whenever Cespedes comes back, if he comes back. Um, so there's some things to be hopeful for where they're there. They're, they're, they're on the cusp in terms of those players. Any thoughts about that? No, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and uh, that's a good point to bring up Oswald. I think he's – I mean, obviously we're only talking about six or seven starts here, but I think he's – he's shown in that time that he's a major league starting pitcher. And I mean, he's um, a league average. I mean, that's the thing. Could, could he give you six innings, three runs, which Jason Vargas can't do. I mean, that's what, I mean, I'm not expecting to be Syndergaard here that I think sometimes we get caught up in Syndergaard and Mats and DeGrom and we expect all these young players to be on that plane. That's, that's not what they need. They need a really good innings back end guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just think of how much different the Mets team would be if they had, a back-end starter with a 4-5-0 ERA that's pitched 120 innings this year instead of Vargas. I mean, that would be that would be a huge it'd be a huge difference. Um and I I honestly think um he's progressed enough over the last 2 years where with command of all of his pitches that I think he can be that guy. He can be a fourth fifth starter and again, like you said, maybe that doesn't excite some fans, but I mean, that that saves them from needing to go out and spend on a starter if if that's what they choose to do. I mean, it, or at the very least, it gives them some more depth if someone gets injured. Like we know with, I mean, everyone in the rotation really has had injury issues. So it's good to have depth like Oswalt. And uh, like you said, McNeil, I think, I mean, there's still, I, it's a small sample size with McNeil, but I, I've been saying for a while that, I think at the very least you're looking at a bench bat, which, again, we can see. I mean, think about if Jeff McNeil was on the bench this entire year instead of Jose Reyes. Again, it's not sexy that he might just be a utility guy, but a utility guy that can hit like he can is extremely valuable. We've we've seen it over the years with that, with like a Ben Zobris type. Obviously, he ends up getting them like five – 600 at bats a lot but that's what happens on teams players get injured so you can have a guy like McNeil and and to me that's kind of his floor I still think he has a chance to be a starting second baseman in kind of the Cabrera mold you're talking about I mean he's not going to be a great defender but he's going to be better than Cabrera he has better range than Cabrera that's for sure so you're looking at a a decent contributor on offense and the guy that's not going to kill you on D so I think I think ultimately um, there's a good chance he is that guy there. And like you said, I'm not sure if we're going to see a lot of this year. The Mets have kind of made it 
they've gone wishy-washy on it. They've kind of made it sound like at first that we weren't going to see him. And then Rico, what he last said was, we're not going to see him until, or he's going to play through Vegas till their season ends, which makes you think that if we did see him, it would be, it wouldn't be until uh, basically September. So um, I guess, I guess you get to see him for a month, but it's pretty tough to get a read on a guy only playing a month in September. So yeah, and then it, I, it makes it tricky. It makes it tricky because if he comes to spring training and starts hitting the the the, the tar out of the ball again, that spring training we've seen guys do that. All right, defense will come into play, but what do they do this off season? I mean, there's been some fans, and I've even thought about this. Like, and I don't know what you know because he's hitting much better since he. In the last month since he's he's come a little bit further along since the knee injury, but Daniel Murphy would look really good as a first baseman. I felt a long time. I mean, I know that's going back, but if you're going to sh- sign somebody to a short-term deal and have a decent chance of it maybe working out in terms of a high level of offense, there's still something there. You know, your your whole season or offseason may change if Alonzo comes up here. And even if he comes up here now, I mean, it's August and September – You'd never know what these guys are until they go around the league a couple of times. It's interesting because I think what they do now impacts the offseason, impacts next year, because he can be that bat that really uh, they're lacking now. They have no impact power bat now that Cespedes is not in the lineup. No, I definitely agree with you, and that's kind of my point. Um, I know some people were weary of calling up Alonzo because he had a rough um, stretch to start in Vegas, but once the deadline was over, I would have called him up and stuck him at first base because the Mets need to find answers going to the offseason. I mean, we all want them to go out and be able to sign a guy like Machado or Bryce Harper or Craig Kimbrell or Patrick Corbin, guys of that like. But until we see something like that, there's no reason for us to think that's going to happen. So they have they have limited options at the in the upper minors, like I said, for assets, and Alonzo's one of them. He's the biggest one in the upper minors, so why not see if he can fill that hole, which they had going into this year. They had a first-base hole, so why... I guess my frustration is, why wouldn't you want to see if Alonzo is that answer? And three weeks in September is just not enough, and maybe eight weeks isn't enough either, but that gives you a much better, um, a longer look at Alonzo to to see if he is that answer, to see if you still need to bring in someone for next year. I mean, say Alonzo does come up and tears the cover off the ball and isn't exactly killing you at first base, and then that's something else you have answered. Then you can go out and spend money on maybe a Yosemite Grandal to be a, to catch and uh, go out and spend money on a center fielder. So I, I think the Mets have kind of done themselves a disservice all year. Um, in the last couple of months um, when they knew this was a lost season and not finding out more about guys that could help for next year. I mean, we all know that they, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go for it. No, it's just talk about the frustration of them waiting on guys like Jeff McNeil. They waited too long. Uh, Bachelor and wall and Smith are all finally up here and they're, they're only pitching every fourth day or whatever it, it you can't get a read on these guys and it's tough for them to stay sharp when they're used to pitching every other day or back-to-back days and 
you can't get an accurate reading at what these guys are bringing to or could bring to the team next year. If you, you know, you got number, you mentioned guys like Tyler Bashley, you got Drew Smith, you got Bobby, Bobby Wall now, uh, Eric Hanhold, um, you know, I'm probably missing some. There's a ton of young relievers. Maybe you want to still keep Paul Seawald in that, Tim Peterson, that you really need, and teams have this, guys who perform at a high level out of that bullpen that you don't have to spend $12, $13 million a year. I mean, look what the Rockies did. They spent a lot of money on that bullpen. They were still out there looking for an arm at the deadline. You, re- you, you, know, you need one of those guys, and maybe you spend money on one, you know, maybe two of those guys, but you saw what Anthony Swarzak, you just don't know what you're going to get from these bullpen guys a lot of times. Which one of those arms, there's a bunch of them, maybe some that are in Vegas and AA now uh, that you're looking at. If you had to pick two or three of those guys that you think could be really impactful next year on a maybe not closer level, but they could get big outs in the middle innings, which which of those arms are you are you counting on right now do you feel – will rise to the top over the next couple of months into spring training. I think Drew Smith is one of them. Um, been a pretty big supporter of his in the past. I just think um, different from some of the other guys um, like Batista and Bachelor and even Wall a little bit, he hides the ball a little better, which which I think is a – It's. I mean, not that it hasn't always been a big thing, but nowadays where you have a lot of guys coming out of the pen throwing 95 to 98, um, it's a good change to have some guy like Smith that throws that same type of speed, but he throws across his body a little bit. So I think it hides the ball better. Um, and Eric Hanhold, who you mentioned, I really, really like, I got a chance to see him in Binghamton early this year. And he was throwing up 96, 97 mile per hour thinkers. These weren't just forcing fastballs. These were heavy, like jury's familiar type thinkers. And he had a, uh, slider that's a swing and miss pitch too. Um, he's just working his way back from rehab right now. Uh, rehab assignment. He was just down in uh, I was in Brooklyn the other day, and uh, so he should be. If the Mets choose to do so, he'll be ready for a September call up. And I think I would like to see him. He, I think he's one of those guys that has back end type stuff. He just it's impossible to lift the ball against him. He throws such a heavy sinker and um, he's been great since the Mets kind of got a diamond in the rough with him. I know a lot of people have kind of made fun of some of the trades they made last year, but they got handhold for uh, Neil in the Neil Walker trade and they got some good value out of handle because he had been starting most of the time and they had recently um, pushed him into a reliever and he had been great since relieving and that's kind of where the Mets got him when he was just getting into relieving and he's been fantastic since. What players in the system this year? Give me a couple players. I know the obvious McNeil and Alonzo. I'm sure McNeil might be the most surprising but if you take those guys out give me some of the players that going into this season nobody was talking about and Based on performance, we're about, what, two or three weeks left of the minor league season. They've really stood out to you, really moved up the, uh, the line, and, and you're looking to them to be a contributor. And, again, we're looking at that two-year window, 19, 20, maybe 21. So these guys will be parts of those teams, maybe not from the beginning, but at some point. What, who are you really looking at there that, that stood out and really moved up 
that made a big impact uh, the last couple of months? I mean, he's a little farther away, and a couple of guys I'm going to mention are, but uh, Luis Santana, second baseman for Kingsport, um, has been fantastic this year. And I actually, I finally got one right. I uh, named him as a someone who I thought was going to have a breakout year this year. Um, I had talked to some coaches and scouts that saw him down in uh, minor league spring, and the ball just flies off his bat. And the other thing they talk about is he's just a fierce competitor. He plays hard. Um, he box, He was a boxer growing up. Um, still, he just turned 19 the other day. He got a 460 on base percentage in Kingsport. Um, he's a good, good defensive second baseman. Um, again, he's only in Kingsport, but he really should be in Brooklyn. The Mets are kind of dropped the ball on some of these promotions. Not as fast as with some of these guys as they should. Um, and the other guy I would mention is uh, Servan Newton is his double play partner there. And he's a 6'4 shortstop that's another guy that just barrels a ton of balls. And when you watch him in um, batting practice, it's 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 fun to watch just to hear. It's one of those guys where you hear that crack of the bat and you're like, it's it's different. Um, it's different than the other guys. And he he has the tools at 6'4 defensively to still stay at shortstop. So, and I know he's starting to get um, – quite a bit of notice even Keith Law mentioned him today in his chat so and uh, the BP guys I think all of them had him uh, Newton in their top 10 so there's a couple of guys to watch there and that's without mentioning their third baseman Mark Ventos who was the Mets second round pick last year and he's on a tear lately he's got OPS over 900 Um, and he, he should be in Brooklyn too and Again, I, I know some, these guys are probably not in that two, three window year window that you were talking about. But they might, but, but they might help if listen if they're contending. You never know; these might be trade chips. Like the part of the whole oh, yeah. system is having assets. I mean that that's where the Mets have. Even if the Mets were in contention, I think you and I would agree they would have had a hard time getting pieces for this roster because of, mm-hmm. you know obviously that they 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 didn't have a farm system that had a lot of desirable uh, players. And sometimes, you know what, uh, let's face it, Mike, some of this time is marketing of these players. I don't think the Mets do a great job putting their players out there. It always seems other teams do a better job. We've talked about this. The Yankees, I think, do an outstanding job marketing their prospects. Obviously, they have to have talent, but it seems like the Mets don't get recognized fairly in, in some cases. But you're bringing up some guys that maybe at the beginning of the year, maybe the media – should have been looking at a little bit more. I mean, these guys didn't all just come out of nowhere uh, the last couple of weeks. They've been there. And it seems like they just the Mets just don't get recognized like other teams. No, I, I can agree with that. I, it, for me, it feels like the Mets kind of choose their two, top, two, two, three top guys, and those are the ones they push and make sure are hyped up like they did with Smith and Alond, uh, Smith and. Uh, Rosario when they were getting close. Um, no, the, they they don't towards the lower levels. And, I mean, that's that's why me and all of the guys that helped me, Jacob and John Sheridan and Matt Mancuso and Sam Lee Woods, that's Jack Ramsey. That's why we all do what we do is because these 
my these guys in the lower minors they don't get the recognition that they should and that's we try to do the best that we can to um make sure the fans read about them and know about them before they're in single and double a because i mean there's a lot of good prospects i mean that start year i mean look at juan soto he started the year in single a and now he's in the major league so i'm not saying these guys are ever going to be juan soto but i mean you want to know about these guys before they start playing full season ball. And so, you know, like, like you said, if the Mets make a trade, you know what they're trading. It's, it's a good point. Even if the Mets were contenders this year, they, they would have had a tough time. It would have been a little better because some of these guys had flashed early in their seasons, but it, they would have had a tough time um, getting value out of these guys. And that, that, I think that'll be, they'll be in a completely different position next year um, to do so. They'll have those chips, even if they're not helping out at the major league level, they'll have some of these lower level chips that will be valuable in trade. Mets made a couple of deals at the deadline. We'll see what they do through the August waiver wire. It doesn't sound like Mesoraco and Batista are, you know, high on anyone's list to get anything. And, and personally, if I wouldn't just gift them away for money, uh, I would try to compete a little bit and not embarrass yourself. Uh, I guess that's debatable. But they did get some interesting players. One is Bobby Wald that we've seen at the big leagues, and there's been mixed results, but he, he certainly has some good stuff. Will Tofe is is playing really well down in Binghamton. And uh, and then there's uh, who they got for Strubel Cabrera, who might be the best of the three. Uh, or the highest upside is uh, Franklin Kilame, and you know he hasn't been bad at Binghamton. I know there's been a lot of discussion about how poorly they may have executed these deadline deals, but um, you know, look, it is what it is. Do they have any kind of assets here? Uh, Tofe to me is 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 interesting because he's an on base guy, no power, and then the pitchers. I mean, we'll see. You know, guys who walk a lot of batters and lack command and control, uh, those typically are guys that uh, are, are heartbreakers. But, you know, there's talent on both of these guys. Yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest surprise so far has been Tofe. He he wasn't hitting much in single A, and when the Mets uh, traded for him, he started right out in double A, and he has a 9.59 OPS going into tonight, and he walked just as much as he struck out. He showed a little pop six doubles and a home run. Um, I've seen him play a couple of times. He hits the ball to all fields. A couple of his, couple of his doubles have been to left field. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter. So I, and this is a guy that's playing with a dislocated shoulder. Um, sounds like it's, I mean, there's different, vary, there's varying levels of this, and it sounds like it's pretty minor. Um, but it's still... There's some people that were high on him um, coming out of this trade. I mean, Fangraphs had him as the eighth, seventh overall prospect. And so, I mean, it's it's not like he was this nobody. He he was a prospect that people had some decent opinions on, and he's, he's played extremely well with the bat. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he finishes out the year. I, I mean, if he finishes out the year strong, there's a good chance that he – starts next year in triple a and then you have finally the mets have a decent third base prospect that's waiting right there i mean that's that's something that's been missing in the Mets system the last couple of years is a third base prospect so if 
if he can turn out to even be an option there, that I mean, that would be a huge plus for them. Um, Wall, I, it's been mixed results so far, but again, they uh, for some reason didn't call him straight to the major leagues and then let him go down to Vegas for a couple weeks and then pitch him basically. I think he pitched in like three or four, three out of four major league games, and so we could go on. I could go on for hours about what Callaway's done in the bullpen, but that I, we'd have to record another show for that. Um, <laughs> that's that's that, true. <laughs> and then with uh, Frank and Colome that you were talking about, he's the big stuff isn't the issue with him. Um, the issue, like you had talked about, has been uh, walks. And his first two starts with the Mets have been much better when it comes to that. So I he he's definitely the biggest upside of all of them. I mean, Baseball Prospectus had him as a top 100 uh, prospect in baseball three years in a row. So um, if he can cut down the walks and uh, develop a more consistent third pitch, he's a starting pitcher, which... I mean, if he can get a major league starting pitcher for two months of Asdrubal Cabrera, that that's a big win. Um, so they're these guys. I mean, these aren't top fifty guys. They so they they do have some flaws, but they're none of these are throwaway guys either. All three of them have some potential, major league potential. How is the you know as and I have Mike Mayer uh, Mets Miners online MetsMiners.net and if you're not subscribed to those uh, get on that right now and Mets Miners online has a great app so there's there's a lot out there you don't have to read the New York Daily News and New York Post to get good analysis of what's going on with the Mets and the system these guys are real pros and uh, you should follow them you know just because you don't have a household name that doesn't mean you don't know what you're talking about um, the Mets made a lot of changes in terms of the coaching and in the minor leagues. And that was under Sandy Alderson, who's not going to be here anymore. Has there been, and you've been critical of call-ups, which is not necessarily the minor league coaching staff, but do you feel like things are better in terms of development? I mean, Rosario's a perfect example. He's come through the system under the old regime, and he's up here now, and, he, and he's still learning. And maybe part of that is who he is as a hitter. Uh, you know, it's a lot of different than – playing down in Binghamton on Las Vegas. Uh, do you see a difference? Are you concerned? And, and again, with a new president or GM coming in, this all may be moot because they may just clean the whole thing out. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on the development part? Are the Mets doing a better job this year after the changes they made? I think there's some incremental changes, but ultimately I think some of the names that you've heard, like uh, Ben Sherrington and uh, – a couple of the other ones they've mentioned um, for the Mets GM are guys that specialize in player development. So I think I think if they do go outside the organization, which it's it's really tough to tell if they're being truthful about that or not. I mean, who knows with the Mets? Um, so, but if they do, I think it's got to be someone who has a strong background in uh, player development. It's just it, it's something that specifically on the position player side that has been to say the least pretty much all the way up through the system. So I think, I think uh, another guy I mentioned today was uh, Gary LaRoque who actually was the one who signed David Wright. Um, he's with the Cardinals now and been their director of player development. Um, 
and I mean, we've we've seen the Cardinals. They they've gotten position players out of nowhere that have turned out to be fantastic everyday players. So um, I think that's something that we see we could see an overhaul in um, that would kind of go along with some of the coaching staff. I know they they like a lot of their guys, especially uh, Tony DeFrancesco, who is doing his first year in AAA. Uh, so, but other than, I think, I think they need to, there's, there's a disconnect. Um, and maybe, maybe a lot of that you can still blame on Jeff Wilpon, who for some reason feels the need to have his hand in every single little move, whether it's a minor leaguer being released or a minor leaguer being promoted. I mean, the guys, people I've talked to have said he's, he's in on every little move and so there's only so much impact someone can have, um, but I, I, that doesn't mean you just give up. You obviously still have to try to bring in uh, some new people that are going to improve that area, but uh, it it makes it a tough proposition when you have someone that continues to meddle like he has. And, uh, I mean, it it's coming out more and more, all the stuff that he's he's done, and it 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 just makes you tough to be uh, optimistic about next year, the year after that, even if you do see some good in some of the players with how DeGrom's pitching, Syndergaard's back pitching great, Conforto's hitting again, uh, McNeil's up. I mean, there there is some reason on the player side to be optimistic, but um, when you get to the ownership, ownership side and management front office, it, that's where you begin to lose your optimism again because we you just there's no way you can think that they're going to support the team like they need to they they haven't so why would that change now so i as as uh as a fan that grows extremely frustrating as i'm sure you know no absolutely and and, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this um you mentioned some of the names that are out there being floated around. John Heyman floated around earlier this week. Um, uh, Gary LaRoque and, and Ben Charrington. There's a whole bunch of names for potential GMs or presidents of baseball operations. Um, the biggest thing those guys, and I said this earlier uh, in the opening, the biggest thing those guys can do is manage ownership. And I think at some point Sandy Alderson did that before he got sick. And um, and that's going to be necessary for whoever comes in. And I don't know because the people that are – they're almost trying to save them from themselves are going to do the hiring, which are the Wilpons. Is there a name that excites you more than another? Because all these guys that I read about all have warts. There's no one, hey, let's bring this person in with this great resume, you know, a Gene Michael type, uh, that kind of, you know, a Pat Gillick type. There's not that guy out there that I think you could say that's the guy that's going to turn this thing around. It's really, you put their names in a hat and you just wonder, you know, who would work best with ownership and probably who would be able to take this rotation and some of the pieces that are on this major league roster and make something competitive over the next couple of years, not 75 win competitive. I mean, they're in the talks all the way into the end for a wild card. Uh, Because I think that's what they want while they're developing some of the players and the names that we talked about throughout this spot. So anybody stand out to you or you're like me, I'm looking at them going, it it really just depends. Yeah, I think like you said, a big part of it is going to be whoever they get. Um, 
it doesn't necessarily the name isn't a big a deal as it is can whoever they bring in can they manage ownership um and something i know that i saw floating around today quite a bit um not any uh real rumors or anything but just thoughts was if the mets were serious and the ownership was serious about fixing that and fixing really their image i mean they would they would have to be pretty clueless to think that they they don't need to do that now what they would really do is hire two guys they would hire a president and then they would have that president hire who he wants for general manager i mean to me that is the best thing that you could do um not only for to put the best product on the field but it would also show the fans that hopefully i mean that would be their best chance of actually having the people that are being paid to make baseball decisions to have them doing it um if they did something like that um jason mcleod from the cubs is a name that i really like um i think he's an all-around guy with scouting and player development and also an analytical guy that i think um is a good baseball mind and i've talked to some people around baseball and they would there's teams circling around him. I know he just um, signed an extension to sign, stay with the Cubs, but um, he he is a guy that I would I would try to get away from them. Absolutely, um, he would be my target. So again, but if if it's not him, hopefully it's just someone that can actually make the decisions that's necessary without having um, someone look over his shoulder, basically. Absolutely. Hey, you've been great. A treasure trove of information. Check out MetsMiners.net, MetsMiners.online.com. You got anything coming up you want to pop here? Any projects, anything that the fans should be looking out for on either of those sites and what you'll be doing as the minor league season rounds up? And uh, it'll be hot stove before you know it. It'll, it's coming fast and furious. It was sooner for the Mets than maybe they'd like, but it's coming. Oh, it is. Uh we have our top five prospects coming out at Metsmerize tomorrow. We've been counting down from 30, so we'll be getting into that. And in the next week or so, we should hear who's playing in the Arizona Fall League. So just another chance to get excited about uh, some of the upper-level prospects that will be playing some more after the season. Absolutely. Michael, be well. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. You were generous with it. And we'll talk again, okay? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mike. That's Michael Mayer, MetsmerizedOnline.com, MetsMiners.net. Love talking to him. He he gives it. Listen, I told you this. We have nice names on this show. We try to we try to get sometimes former players. You got my opinion. You got call in. I try to do a little bit differently here. And these guys, if you go to MetsMiners.net, you know none of them are going to show up on the New York Post, the New York Daily News. Maybe one day they will. Because I know there's a lot of aspiring journalists uh, that work at this. Uh, MetsmerizedOnline.com network, uh, but they know their stuff. And uh, like I said in the open, there's a lot to be optimistic there. So anyway, let's take a short break. When we return, we'll have final thoughts and what's coming up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. 
Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts here. Hope everybody's had a a good time here at at this. Um, Where are we going with the show? So really quick. uh, Yes, I'm still planning on doing some, doing Sundays. I I do think that I'd like to, sometimes Sundays is not the easiest time to get guests. Sometimes the news is not as juicy. You know, you want to, I want to have quality. I don't want to just have a talk radio situation and, Part of that is, hey, it's Sunday, here's the news, here's what's gone on this week, that's a big component of the show, and uh, let's chat about it. But I think now, especially as the year goes on, uh, the final six, seven weeks here before the postseason, when we'll take a little, unfortunately, hiatus, because the Mets won't be part of it, uh, I'll try to, you know, I'll try to do some different things, I'll try to mix it up a little bit, maybe we'll, you know, if if it's a Tuesday or Thursday night, uh, where you know, makes more sense for the guests. Maybe I'll do that. But, you know, keep tuning tune in every week. You know, subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcasting service you desire. And it'll pop up automatically if you put it that, that feature on. So you shouldn't have any questions about when this podcast is available. If you go to MetsmerizedOnline.com, get the app. It's free, the MetsmerizedOnline.com app. So you get those updates there. Every show will be promoted and featured there. Those are our business partners. Those are our friends over there. Check out MetsMiners.net like we were talking about with Michael, and uh, and away you go. Another note, I don't know if you've followed him on Twitter, but you've known and they've been on, those segments have been on this feed throughout the spring into the summer, but our buddy uh, Rich Catino, ESPN 98.7, he's going to be taking a little hiatus uh, from WLIE, so those features are going to be going away right now. He may be back in the spring when the baseball season kicks up again. Uh, but Rich is going to take a little time off. I know he's working on a book project that he's talked about. He'll be covering uh, football and the Jets and the Giants for 98.7 ESPN. You'll hear Rich again on the show. Uh, I definitely want to check in with him. I know sometimes you guys, uh, you know, the, I know you, you think he's overly positive, and Rich is a positive guy, but he's got some really good information. He is connected with the Mets organization, more so than you think. And uh, you really should follow him if you don't, at Catino9 on Twitter. And I absolutely appreciate the chance to sub in for him one night, uh, come into the studio and and kind of play off of him. I know it wasn't just Mets. We did Yankees, but it was a lot of Mets because that's what we do. And uh, it's fun, and, and hopefully I'll get a chance in the future to work with him on something again. So I'll just let you guys know that if you've been enjoying those segments, they will not be continuing in the near term, maybe in the long term. So uh, you'll be just stuck with the Talking Mets podcast here and Mike Silva, which who knows? Maybe go to bed, depending on what you think. Hey, we're out of time. I want to thank everybody. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. I want to thank our buddy Michael Mayer for his participation today. Of course, you can check out the show all the time on our iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Check us out at The Grueling Truth, a member of the iHeart Media Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend. 
Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back next week with more Talking Mets. Be well till then. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.